Podcast rooted in Greece, but with a keen eye on the world around us. I'm Nick Malkoutsis. And I'm Phoebe Fronista. On this episode, we'll be pulling together several strands, all with one common theme, the climate crisis and its impact on Greece. In the wake of the COP26 meeting, we'll look at what Greece brought to the discussion and what the government in Athens will need to do to ensure that this corner of Europe does enough to reduce emissions over the coming decades. Renewable energy is going to play a big part in that effort, and it seems that wind power is generating a lot of interest at the moment. But later in the episode, we'll hear why there's also a potential downside to the way that wind turbines are being installed in Greece. But first, we're going to begin with this summer's wildfires, which devastated several parts of Greece, particularly the northern part of the island of Evia not too far from Athens. When the Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis took to the floor at COP26 in Glasgow, he suggested that these fires were evidence of how the climate crisis is already affecting Greece. This summer, having experienced a record-breaking streak of days with temperatures over 40 degrees, we had to deal with forest fires of unprecedented intensity. And to tackle such challenges, we created a climate crisis ministry. We emphasize the term climate crisis because we are already in need of urgently addressing the consequences of climate change. The extent to which the fires could be blamed on the warming climate or on other factors like Chronic weaknesses in Greece's forest management and firefighting strategies are something we will get into later. But to start us off, we're going to hear from someone who was there in northern Evia this summer and who witnessed firsthand the destruction of the island's ecosystem, people's homes, and their livelihoods. His name is Thodoris Nikolaou. He's a journalist, a photographer, and an author, and both his parents come from villages in northern Evia. And he, he lives in the capital, Chalkida. I can't say I want to relive this summer, but I'm really interested to hear what Thodoris has to say about his experience with the wildfires. Well, Nick, first you have to understand how important Evia and its nature are to Thodoris. It's not just the, the land of my ancestors. It's a kind of paradise for me. If I'm going to die... I would like, you know, to throw my aces to the agency between the place that my mother and my father were born, between Agia Anna and the Dipsos in the agency. So that's what I feel about the, the place that my parents were born there. We met last month on a very windy day in Athens, in a busy park. For him, it all started on August 3rd, when he got a phone call from a friend telling him about a fire in Limni, a family-friendly seaside resort in northern Evia. Now, 
Greece was right in the middle of its worst heat wave in 30 years. And for days, temperatures all over the country were around or above 40 degrees Celsius. That's over 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Dangerous wildfires had already broken out in the Peloponnese and in the northern suburbs of Athens, damaging homes and forcing people to evacuate. So people weren't really paying attention to Evia just yet. Thodoris' colleague in Athens told him to sit tight and just monitor the fire for the time being. But Thodoris felt uneasy, so he threw some t-shirts in a bag, grabbed his camera, and drove up the winding mountain road to check it out. I get there the morning of the 4th August and I, you know, I find, you know, a situation like it was like an explosion. It was like a movie. There were so many fires. The, the fire was out of, of control the first day. Uh, so I was trying to find uh, where, the, where, the fire, uh, where the fire started. So I went to Retinolacos. I found some people there uh, just fighting with the fires, with some homemade tanks and hoses. And the first thing I asked them is, where is the fire department? Where, is the, where are the firemen? And they said to me, there, there are no firemen there. So that's, uh, that's how everything started there. There was no feeling of, of the time. Uh, I was waking up uh, at 5 or 6 o'clock uh, many times with no... I hadn't the opportunity to sleep, or I was sleeping in the car, or in some friends' uh, houses there in in some villages. So I don't have the the feeling, uh, the feeling of the feel of time. The most painful for me is that I was trying just to to keep the balance between, you know, to keep the balance of my feelings, because there were two difficult situations. The first, I had, you know, I had to work, I have to to gain some money, I have to to show to the people what happened there. This is what I have to do as a journalist and as a photographer. But the second one was that this is my homeland. There, there is a graveyard that is my my grandfather's and my grandmother's graves. It wasn't so, you know, it, it wasn't easy for me. It wasn't easy. I remember, you know, my, I, I remember myself just photographing the crying. Some days, some days ago, I was in North Avia. I was driving to, to, my, to my mother's homeland, to Ayana. And I said, okay, let's check, let's, let's check my feelings, what is going to do. It's still painful for you. And when, you know, I get close to Ayana, I start crying. Because... I, it's, it's so alive for me. This is so alive. The smell of burned pine haunts him. But he told me that what pains Evia residents the most is the feeling of total abandonment by the state, both then and now. You know, the, the main problem with the people, what, what, this, what they said to me, they don't care the villages or the forest get burned. Their main problem is how they left them alone to get burned. This is what really pains, that they were alone. They were trying to save their, their, their houses and their villages just with houses, makeshift tanks and leaves. That's how they saved their villages. That's how they saved their houses. And this is the reality. Of course, there there were some, you know, there were some firemen, but you were seeing them, and they were looking there, uh, you know, a total dismanagement. They were looking like uh, uneducated. 
with, with holes in their houses and the people asking them to help them and they, they, were looking, they were looking them like oh I can't help you I don't know why I can't you know I can't uh, I can't explain why they react there why they, they choose to, to stay uh, with the people there and to help them I, I, I can't you know I can't, I can't give an, uh, I can't explain it it's not my job to explain it my job is just to take photos and to see what happens there it was a police uh, a policeman you know with a car just shouting evacuate 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 okay let's evacuate the place where to go what's the evacuation evacuation is a total plan with a b c with steps they were calling for evacuation just okay evacuate where to go where to go so the Rudis makes it a point to go up north every so often just to see how things are going because he says it's his duty as a journalist to document not only the disaster, but its aftermath as well. It's actually how we met for the first time, at a protest rally in central Athens, where farmers, resin collectors, and beekeepers from Evia and other fire-ravaged areas in Greece had come to get the government's attention. The protesters accused the Greek government of doing too little to prepare for winter floods and said they hadn't received a cent of the promised compensation. For people whose only income came from an ecosystem that doesn't exist anymore, the situation was, and continues to be, dire. The whole economy there is establishing four things. Uh, resin collectors, bees, some roofs to let, and some kind of tavernas and something like this. So the whole economy is established in the forest and in the beach. Now, with no forest, there is no economy there. I remember the, the fifth day when I find my cousin in Agiana, uh, he said to me, I remember, you know, the, the fire of 1977. It, it takes about 40 years, 40 years to see, to see the pines going 10 or 20 meters. So it's going to take about 40, 40 years to see again this forest. So this is a big, you know, this is really painful for me. It, I need 40 years to see again the forest like it was before. I asked Thodoris whether, in his opinion, with or without eventual compensation, will people stay? Will they be able to wait for 40 years for the forest to grow back? I'm not sure. How a man, how a beekeeper, how a resident collector will stay there with no job? There are no other opportunities. There's no other kind of jobs there. So, maybe they will come to the capital of the island, to Halkis or to the Athens. Maybe we are talking about the climate refugees, the first climate refugees in Greece. I know many people, they say, okay, let's see what's going to happen this winter and in the summer, if the situation gets, gets harder, maybe we're going to move to another city. So, why to stay there? Okay, of course you love, you know, your place, of course you, you love your whole land, but why to stay there? There were some people, that, <laughs> you know, after the, the, after the catastrophe, they said that, okay, let's visit uh, Evia, let's go there for holidays. Okay, I understand it. Who is going, who? The next winter, okay, you decide to go for holidays in Evia, and you get there. Where to stay? What to see? <laughs> And the people who stay there the winter, imagine them just to 
you know, just to, to live, just to live to, to, to the aces. They live in the aces now. They do live in the ashes now. Over 10 days, the wildfires burned through more than 115,000 acres in Evia. And over 1,000 firefighters from several countries were unable to stop it from moving from village to village, from beach to mountain peak, and back to the sea again, eating up countless trees, animals, and people's futures along the way. Thodoris Nikolaou speaking to Phoebe about the dramatic and destructive fires that ravaged northern Evia this summer and were perhaps a harbinger for what lies in store for us over the coming years. It was such a terrible August for the entire Mediterranean. But as you say, maybe the even scarier part is to think that this wasn't a freak occurrence and it's more likely the kind of extreme event that we're just going to keep seeing as the climate crisis grows. Well, this is one of the topics that I raised with our next guest, Theodora Nantu, who is the head of policy at WWF Greece. We started off by discussing this summer's wildfires and what learnings we can draw from them. Then we moved on to talking about the Greek government's climate policies as they were set out by the Prime Minister at COP26. We aim to be leaders in offshore wind production with an installed base of two gigawatts by 2030. We also want to be innovators in pump storage hydroelectricity, taking advantage of the country's unique geomorphology. As far as phasing out coal is concerned, we are transitioning to a low carbon electrification at a faster rate than many European countries. Greece will be lignite free the latest by 2028, while all old lignite units will be phased out by 2023. As far as ecosystems are concerned, we are taking regulatory action to protect marine biodiversity. That is just a taste of the climate goals Greece has in its sights. So now let's hear what Theodota Nansu has to say about the government's overall approach. We heard a clip earlier in the podcast, um, Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis speaking at uh, COP26. And when he took to the floor for his uh, brief uh, address, he linked the climate crisis to this summer's wildfires in Greece. I'd like to ask you, to what extent should we be looking to climate change as the cause rather than of, of the wildfires, rather than poor forest management or flawed firefighting? Uh, how, how do we apportion the responsibility here? Well, we always need to look at what is our fault and what we need to do to to get better, to, to do things better. So following on from the summer of uh, 2007, 
when Greece was ravaged with, you know, absolutely destructive and lethal infernos that burned something uh, in the order of uh, 270,000 hectares of forests, uh, farmland. It appears that Greece did not learn the lesson. Climate change is here. Climate change is changing everything. Climate change is uh, making things a lot worse for forests, for everything. However, climate change does not start the wildfires. Climate change is not responsible for the management of, say, the flammable material that, uh, you know, uh, sets forests on fire and makes them get out of control in no time, because this is what we are seeing. Wildfires are um, wilder than they used to be. So the lesson from 2007, 2009, until today is the same. We need to protect our forests because forest means health. We need to manage them in ways that allow them to uh, that allows them to breathe, that allows them to um, uh, cope with fire, and uh, allows us as you know uh, human communities to deal with these fires to extinguish them. Um, you know, without these, this, uh, this level of uh, destruction. Greece is not learning the lessons from uh, these uh, ravaging wildfires. We need to protect our forests and we are not doing this. In its defence during the summer and the extensive destruction that came with these wildfires, the government cited the extremely high number of forest fires that broke out across the country and every day the government spokesman or some official was saying talking about dozens of fires and so on and obviously that's that's a very difficult situation to deal with but saying that if we accept that we are now facing wildfires on a different scale and volume as as you suggested in your previous answer it begs the question of what we're doing to prepare and mitigate for this What's your sense about about how we're adapting to this new reality, this threat? We are not doing much. Um, we don't see the necessary measures that will uh, protect forests and will manage forests so that they are not so flammable. You know, uh, cleaning forests from, uh, you know, dead wood and uh, uh, this material, uh, opening forests so that they become... Uh, more healthy, even for wildlife, you know, we have abandoned forests. There is no forest uh, uh, service as it used to be, as we used to have a really strong uh, forest service years ago. And we had very good plans for forest management. So there was wood production that allowed local communities to live out of the forest in a healthy way for both the local economy and um, uh, the forest itself. It uh, provided life to the forest and also allowed the more efficient um, extinguishing of the wildfires. So this is not happening right now. We don't have the forest service. We have, you know, forest uh, departments that just have one uh, person that cannot cope with the demand. Um, we have forests that are filled with illegal and legal homes wherever. So this, this is another issue. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, you know, the UN's top scientific body on climate change, has raised the alarm 
on the so-called atypical housing um, developments within sensitive areas, whether these be uh, water catchments, so you get floods, destructive floods, and forests. If you get what we call ectoschediodomisi, off-plan uh, building, wherever, then you get up, you end up with um, villages or isolated homes that are really prone to devastating destruction now with climate change. So if we don't stop this off-plan uh, constructions in, in all Greece, we will end up with more deadly uh, incidents of, uh, of fires. You have whole villages, they don't have the infrastructures, they don't have evacuation plans or evacuation uh, infrastructures, they don't have roads, good roads. So this is a, it's a matter of life and death. Managing forests and coasts and water basins is a matter of life and death especially for Greece. You know, the data on climate change in, in Greece are really, really bad. The IPCC, the International, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has raised the alarm for the entire Mediterranean. So we are seeing these distractions. We need to, to, to manage them as best as we can. Okay, that gives me a good opportunity to go back to COP26. And when he was there the Greek Prime Minister set out six initiatives which he claimed will allow Greece to make a significant contribution to helping exceed the EU's goal of reducing emissions by 55% by 2030. Now, let's start with the first thing that he mentioned, which was to do with uh, shipping, since Greece, or at least Greek owners, account for around 20% of the global fleet. He said steps are being taken to decarbonize maritime transport. But your organization, WWF, has suggested in a response to the PM statement that the government is simply helping postpone any noteworthy action in this sector. Could you explain briefly why WWF isn't convinced? Uh, in reality, we do not hear anything substantial in terms of uh, commitments, in terms of policy and emissions reductions uh, from the PM during the Glasgow COP26 in terms of uh, you know, shipping. At the IUCN conference in Marseille, which happened earlier in September this year, the Prime Minister announced an initiative for the creation of a research fund for shipping fuel, for innovation in uh, shipping fuel. Okay, this is good, to, but... To establish, to, to develop a clean type, clean or cleaner type of fuel, I'm assuming. Yes, a research right. initiative. We Okay. We don't know more about this. This is good, okay. but this has nothing to do with uh, the elephant in the room, which is uh, the polluter-based principle and the inclusion of this. This is the position of uh, WWF, the European network of WWF, that uh, shipping needs to be included under the uh, emissions trading system by at, at the level of the European Union, not the IMO. So Greece is not doing much. On, on this. And uh, this is not just, you know, this government, it's been um, long uh, going on. We need this to change because this is going to be a real incentive for the shipping sector to change and change fast. And, you know, Greece is a global leader in shipping. Greece needs to become the champion of this uh, policy. Okay, moving on to another major uh, 
uh, factor of uh, pollution in, in Greece, lignite-fired electricity plants. The government has presented what some have described as an ambitious plan to shut them down over the next few years. But the WWF argues that what uh, Kyriakos Mitsotakis presented in Glasgow was a watered-down version of this delignatization program. What prompted this reaction from your side and how would you assess the move away from cheap lignite as a key source of power for Greece? Is it is it happening? Are we making progress? I would like to start by saying that in two, back in 2019, when Prime Minister Mitsotakis announced that Greece is phasing out lignite by 2028, we celebrated this. This was a huge breakthrough. And we celebrated it as a uh, at the level of the WWF network, not just in in Greece, because this was a leading uh, initiative that could you know accelerate coal phase out in all Europe. So Greece moved ahead as champion for coal phase out. We knew since 2013. We have done studies as WWF Greece that uh, lignite is really, really not just destructive for human lungs or the planet or climate change, but is destructive for Greece's economy. It doesn't pay off. I mean, uh, lignite is costly for PPC and and all. And we have been calling for the public power corporation to start to become innovative in coal phase out not start Ptolemaida 5, which is the, the, the most recent um, lignite plant, because this would be a financial disaster for uh, PPC. Uh, we did the math and it was clear that coal doesn't uh, pay. So uh, when Prime Minister Mitsotakis said uh, 2028, that was a, a, a message for celebration. Since then, Europe has moved on. And many, many countries commit to coal phase out. Not gas, unfortunately, not fossil fuels in total, but coal. Um, after 2019, PPC and Prime Minister Mitsotakis said we may be able to close them down all coal uh, plants before 2028, possibly 2025. But then we backtracked. That that was uh, in in practice you know, uh, uh, retracted. And we also saw a recent development by the government in violation of the <clears throat> European Union's Industrial Emissions Directive. Um, new derogations from uh, specific provisions were given to operating, to extending the operation of um, uh, currently open uh, lignite plants until, what, 2025, 2028, they should be closing down or applying best techniques, which is which has always been a problem with uh, PPC, you know, clean coal, as they say, or cleaner coal. There is no clean coal. Yeah. So we would like to see this move ahead faster. Are you concerned that now because of uh, inflation, which is obviously affecting energy prices and we also saw over the summer when we had uh, such a record heat wave and a huge demand for electricity because of uh, air conditioning and so on are, are you are you concerned that this process of shutting down the the, the, the lignite fired plants might be 
completely derailed as we as we go ahead as as the, they try to uh, keep some production uh, going to meet uh, these demands and and obviously inflation looks like it's going to be around for a while and try to keep energy prices uh, lower. We are concerned that Greece is not moving ahead with uh, renewables and storage. Uh, we are concerned that uh, Greece is not, you know, putting its, all its guns behind innovation on clean technologies and meaningful social engagement in the development of, uh, of uh, renewables. So, yes, we may see um, backtracking on these commitments and resurgence of coal, but this will be only temporary because coal is uh, financially a disaster. Everybody knows that. That will not change. So we need to see Greece become a champion for well-established renewables and storage. And Greece has the capacity to do that. Okay, on the issue of renewables, the Greek Prime Minister said that he also aims to make Greece a leader in offshore wind production with an installed capacity of 2 gigawatts by 2030. Is this within the country's capabilities and is the target ambitious enough for you as WWF Greece? If by country's capabilities we mean wind, yes, there is a lot of wind. Uh, but uh, Greece is not developing wind power in a in an efficient, say, uh, manner. And there are a lot of reactions and there are many serious uh, problems in terms of spatial planning. So, yes, offshore wind will be really good, but we need planning or else it will not uh, be efficient. So... Um, Yes, we need to invest in offshore wind. We need to to invest in um, onshore wind as well, which is a lot cheaper. But we need to do it in the right way. And we also need to see active social engagement and transparency and, you know, accountability, environmental accountability of uh, all this plan. Because renewables are not just another type of investment. They are a type of investment that aims to solve a huge environmental crisis, the climate crisis. So so they need to be developed in a much better uh, uh, way than, for example, coal or gas. Okay, They need to be models of best environmental application, best techniques and minimum, minimal uh, environmental impact. We need to, to see that. And the government is not doing much in that direction. Finally, Phil, that uh, the Environment Ministry also unveiled recently a new climate bill, which is designed to lead Greece to carbon neutrality by 2050. Uh, obviously, it's a wide-ranging piece of draft legislation that covers things like emissions reduction, energy efficiency, climate adaptation, and uh, electric mobility, and we can't cover uh, everything here. But could you give me a quick assessment of some of the things you like about the bill, as well as what might be causing you concern? We have been expecting a national climate law. We have been advocating for a good and really championing uh, uh, national climate law. Uh, In this draft, in this bill that was put in public consultation, we see small steps forward. But still, this law, this draft law, is not in line with the 1.5 global warming uh, limit. 
Um, so the climate targets are, say, as we say, below the bar. We would like to see at least um, uh, 65% by 2030 um, uh, reduction in, uh, in gross emissions. We would like to see uh, the promotion of energy efficiency and uh, properly planned full deployment of renewables. There's gas. There's There appears to be a lot of gas. In There's nothing about hydrocarbon exploration and drilling, which is happening in Greece. And, you know, it is a problematic, a really problematic. New oil and gas is problematic. And as science says, there is no room for new oil and gas in on, on, on this planet. Uh, we don't see anything about nature and the need to protect natural ecosystems as the best and cheapest defense that we have in adapting to climate change, like coasts and forests, as we uh, previously discussed. And the whole chapter of climate governance and public engagement, transparency in the role of science are not in there. They, they do not play uh, a strong role in that climate bill. We hope that all that will be improved if this bill is to, to, to go to Parliament. So, yes, small, small steps ahead, uh, but still below the bar of, you know, the huge challenge of addressing uh, the climate crisis. Okay, another thing to keep our eye on. Theodota, thank you very much for your time and your insight. Thank you. It was good to be here. That was Theodota Nantu from WWF Greece, speaking to Nick about this summer's wildfires and the extent to which the government's climate policies are robust enough to address the crisis that is well and truly upon us. Based on what Theodota says, we all need to stay on top of this because although there are some encouraging signs and developments, no doubt, it's clear that much more needs to be done. And I think that's a good moment at which to take a very short break. You're listening to the Agora Podcast, brought to you by Macropolis. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and we are hosted on Acast. We love hearing from you guys, so please, if you haven't, do write to us, rate us, and subscribe. It really helps others find us. And of course, for more information about our work and articles and commentary, visit our website, macropolis.gr. That's Macropolis with a C. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the last segment of this packed episode. Now, we are going to examine a very specific element to decarbonize our energy production. That's right. I've been speaking to Evry Vicky Bersi, a journalist in Athens, who recently published a long read about wind power in Greece for the Reporters United Investigative Journalism Network. 
Now, as you know, Phoebe, the spate of fires in the summer triggered a lot of speculation, even fear-mongering, you might say, about wind power, with a popular theory being that forested areas were being burnt on purpose to create room for wind turbines. A lot of people, especially those who hail from windy islands, really leaned into these conspiracy theories this summer. Right. I have to stress that what we discussed with everything is nothing to do with that. Instead, her report highlights some of the environmental concerns around the way that Greece is going about its drive to increase wind power, particularly in terms of how this is affecting nature and wildlife. Of course, a move from fossil fuels to renewable energy is in everybody's interest, but this doesn't mean the process is free of complications, which is exactly what Evriviki has highlighted in her investigation. So here's Evriviki Barisi speaking to Nick. Evriviki, wind power seems, well, there's a lot of activity around it at the moment in uh, Greece. And in your piece, you outline how the country is on course to overshoot its targets in the coming decades, which sounds impressive. Can you tell us more about this and perhaps explain why this form of energy is proving so popular, if it is in fact uh, as popular as it seems? It's popular with investors. Uh, It's 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 a question mark if it's that popular with um, uh, the population here. But um, let let me explain what's happening with uh, um, the um, flood of of uh, investment of applications for wind power uh, in Greece. There has that we currently have applications for thirty gigawatts of of uh, wind power in Greece, while uh, the the plan for 2050, so the long-term energy strategy for Greece, uh, requires uh, 13. So we have applications for 30 and the plan uh, requires 13. This is the the strategy uh, for full um, uh, compliance with the the, the Paris Agreement goals. So the, this is, if, if we manage to, to um, uh, get 13 uh, gigawatts, then we are, uh, we, we've covered our goals for 2050. This is the, this is what's happening, basically, that we have, we have this, uh, this flood of investment. Uh, you have, we have to ask investors why this is happening. Mm-hmm. There's the, one possible explanation is because it has been it has been very uh, lax the, the the regime governing uh, applications. So um, there has been the, this idea that uh, most parts of the country are 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 within limits, and the question is uh, should should that be the case? So there ha- there there has been this calculation. Um, uh, by uh, uh, the team of Vasily Kikati at the University of Ioannina. Uh, she, the prof- professor for biodiversity conservation, she, she pretty much divided the country into two zones. One zone is the zone worth protecting uh, because not, not, every, not every part of the country is equally 
valuable in terms of uh, how rich it is in, 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 in biodiversity and in natural habitats. So she found that in the least sensitive part, in 2020, there were already applications for uh, 10.7 gigawatts of um, wind power. So that's, uh, that's more than we need for 2050 if um, uh, the, we, we, because we already have 4 gigawatts, 4.2 gigawatts. So it's, um, of course, it's a question. Not every application leads to construction. That's, the, that's a, a very, very important uh, thing to, uh, to take into account. But um, what this tells us <clears throat> is that there is ample scope for uh, a, a selection based on, on, on criteria uh, of, of biodiversity protection and um, of nature conservation. Okay. But what we have here is essentially a, a zero carbon form of producing energy, um, but we see that it's meeting with some resistance, uh, some objections. Could you explain to us what some of these complaints are and why people are opposed to more wind turbine installations in Greece? I think what part of the problem is that people haven't realized how serious uh, the climate crisis is. Mm -hmm. uh, a, lot, a lot of these objections are based on uh, really uh, not, 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 not fully understanding how important it is to, to get rid of fossil fuels as soon as possible. Another part of these of, of these objections uh, comes from the the lack of planning. We don't since 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 there is there is no uh, plan overall plan um, explaining exactly how much do we need and under what what are the guidelines under which they will be placed where uh, and why. Um, people see a flood a flood of applications of, and are scared. Uh, it would be a lot easier to say this and this is what we need um, and not no more. Um, so a very important uh, aspect uh, of, uh, of this strategy for the future would be to explain that Greece uh, is not the battery of Europe, will not be the battery of Europe. Mm -hmm. Greece, uh, we will we will cover our needs in wind power, and that's it. the The opposite is the, is the case currently. Greece is being touted as a huge, as a big uh, future energy hub, uh, production by, by wind and and solar uh, would will be supposedly uh, exported, and that's. Um, if this if this is the case, then there will really be no no limit. Then every available space will be will be turned into into. Uh, so, the the objection there is that if we go above and beyond uh, the target that's been set, we risk uh, doing extensive damage to our biodiversity, our areas of uh, natural beauty, and, and so on. When we, we don't need these installations. Yeah, you, you, that's that's a, that's a big part of the objections. Uh, other objections are based on on people not wanting the the, the um, uh, wind turbines next to their uh, villages. Okay, but 
from reading you, your piece, I understand that there there have been proposals uh, that would allow more wind parks, but at the same time would protect uh, important parts of our uh, nature, our biodiversity. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, these proposals? There, there has been a proposal to restrict investment in wind farms uh, to 41% of the country. Where's the catch? The catch is that you can't uh, protect a, a large part of the country and at the same time turn Greece into a clean energy exporter, number one. And number two, you cannot protect a large part of the country and at the same time try to um, turn uh, turn the, run the economy uh, with hydrogen. So uh, hydrogen and all the other new fuels uh, require very large amounts of uh, wind and solar power uh, in order to um, exist. Uh, so we should keep those as the champagne of the energy system and not as the water of the energy system. So as long as we as we as we um, stick to these two goals, um, we might uh, as well uh, succeed in energy transition and uh, biodiversity protection at the same time. The, the Prime Minister at COP26 in his uh, brief speech at the beginning spoke of a flagship project called Untrodden Mountains. And we are introducing a flagship project, we call that Untrodden Mountains, with the aim to protect our mountains' natural habitat. Uh, does this mean we're going to see greater protection for the kind of places we've been uh, talking about? And have there been any other developments on this story since you wrote the article that we should be aware of? I, I heard the Prime Minister, and let's see what let's see what this brings. Uh, you know better than I do that the um, space between uh, announcements and real policy being implemented uh, is is larger than than what we would like to. So uh, let's wait and see. This is, of course, uh, acknowledging that there are areas uh, that should be fully protected is is a very um, welcome step. Let's let's uh, see where that uh, leads us and how large these areas are. There are already areas under protection. The new the new element that should be into uh, taken under consideration is that the protect the, the the non-construction of new roads. Uh, well, that's what untrodden mountains means. We do not open new roads uh, in 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 roadless areas so that so as to protect biodiversity. That's that's a that's a shortcut. If you want, if you want to 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 see how rich an area is in in natural resources, you can do detailed environmental studies, or you can check out its roads. Greece has uh, many areas that are not fragmented. There is an index counting fragmentation, uh, and and we are in a pretty good shape uh, in that. And it's 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 an asset worth protecting. Those areas that you can only explore uh, on foot. And another welcome development was the, the Ministry of Environment uh, blocking uh, two uh, applications for wind farms on the Agrafa range, which is um, uh, a very wild and pristine area. And apparently 
there has been some consideration of the environmental impacts and, and, and the applications were blocked two weeks ago. And there's been a long campaign to prevent... There has uh, been a long energy. campaign, yes, mm. there has been a long campaign. Okay, very clear, Riziki. Thank you very much for your insight. Thank you. That was reporter Evridiki Bersi speaking to Nick about the complexities around wind power and how sometimes the environment is put in danger by our very efforts to tackle the climate crisis. I think a key takeaway from the issue that Evridiki has highlighted in our discussion and her work is that we have to remain vigilant. Uh, there's no doubt that we want to move as quickly as possible to a zero carbon setup. But we have to ensure that regulatory or other concerns are not cut in this rush. You can find a link to her article for Reporters United in our show notes if you want to find out more about the issue. Moving quickly was also the theme of your discussion with Theodota Nansu from WWF Greece. She highlighted that the Greek authorities, like governments in many parts of the world, really need to up their game over the coming years if we are to escape the most extreme effects of the climate crisis. Well, if we need a reminder of how the unfolding environmental catastrophe can turn our world upside down, we got it this summer with the Evia wildfire, sadly. And we'll see if these are, in fact, Greece's first climate refugees. So I hope we've given you guys a broad picture of how the climate crisis is already affecting Greece, whether policymakers are doing enough about it and why we need to ensure that we don't end up doing more damage than good as we turn towards cleaner forms of energy. It's been a bit of a whirlwind tour, but we hope you got something out of it. If so, please follow us, give us your feedback. Always happy to hear from you. And tune in for our next episode. It'll be coming soon. In the spirit of the theme for today's show, we'll leave you with a different tune. It's also by the Burgundy Grapes who provided us with our theme tune, but this one's called Vineyard Sway. That's all from us. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.